Matthew chapter 20, there I am. If you don't have a Bible, you should find one in, in the seats underneath you or maybe in front of you. We'll also have it up on the screen in a little bit. We value God's Word here. Uh, we believe that it has the ability to convict of sin and draw people to repentance. We believe it is the primary means by which God uh, reveals Himself to a world that doesn't know Him. And so uh, we believe it's effectual to do the things that God intends for it to do. And so when you start reading your Bible, stuff happens. And so if you don't have a Bible with you, find one real quick. I think there's something valuable when you see it in front of you. We like it up on the screen. It's convenient. But there's something that God just does when it's in your lap. And so if uh, you don't have one, find one. Um, and then secondly, if you don't ha- own a Bible, don't have access to one outside of this place, we'd love to give you one, uh, that one of those ones that are under the seat, I mean, it's just a little paperback, but we, we can give you one. We also have a bunch in the lost and found outside, and you can just scrape, your, scrape the old person's name off it and have a nice Bible. You laugh, but they're just sitting there. They're nice Bibles. What you going to do? So if you don't have a Bible, go get a good one. Um, man, you never know what you're going to get when it comes to music in our church. We just had how great, or how great they are with two brass instruments, a trumpet and a French horn. And right before that, we had Be Thou My Vision with a drum track. Be, do you know the story of Be Thou, Be Thou My Vision? It's, it's from the 8th century, from Ireland. It, it was translated in the early 1900s. It is an ancient poem, and we played it with a drum track. I don't know if that's okay, but I kind of liked it. And then that and, anyways, if you have different styles of musical preference, we got you here. All right. So we're on the back end of a series that we're calling On the Same Page. Uh, the premise is simple. We are walking through uh, and defining major vocabulary words in the life of the church. And we've walked through some good stuff so far, right? Uh, words like gospel and scripture, baptism, mission, uh, those kinds of things. And the whole idea is that when these words are thrown out in the ether, we'll all be on the same page. Genius, right? I know. All right, so we're walking through all these vocabulary words. We've studied some great stuff. Um, A couple of weeks ago, or last week, we we talked about the idea of sin and that for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, sin is uh, a new enemy or that's the way it needs to be seen. That it's not this thing that we ought to get to. It's not some list of naughty words and actions that God doesn't like. Rather, it's the thing that robs us of God's presence, of his nearness, of his fellowship with us. And because we value God more, we freely and joyfully lay that aside, right? That's what we said last week, that sin is a new enemy, all right? And so uh, we are... I have another week. We've got a few more words that we want to throw out over the next few weeks. Uh, and so our word for this week is leader. Leader. Everybody excited about leaders, right? So what do you normally think about when you think of a leader? For some, it's politicians, right? Insert your favorite president here. No matter what your political affiliation or where you land on the spectrum is, just whatever your guy is, you put them in that category. That's a leader, right? For others, it's great military Uh, commanders of a bygone era, right? Think of guys like Patton or MacArthur. Stanton, would it be okay if I preached in front of a giant American flag? No? Okay. It'd be weird. All right. For other people, when you think of a leader, you're thinking of like the CEO of your favorite company, the Steve Brants, or Steve Bransons. That's not a, that's not a person. Steve Jobs and Richard Branson. I've intended to say both of those, and I just messed it up. See, that's how, that's how good of a preacher I am. All right, the Steve Jobs and the Richard Bransons of the world, right? 
Or for your older folk, Lee Iacocca? Nobody? Okay, Chrysler, there you go. All right, I remember uh, I watched an episode of Full House growing up, and one of the uncles had Lee Iacocca on a poster on his wall, and I thought that was interesting. Now, when most of us think about leaders, we think of people who have just a certain skill set, right? People who have the intellectual and personal capacity to uh, manage lots of people and lots of resources, right? That's what we normally think about uh, when we think of a leader. And there, there are definitely people who have that greater capacity, right? Uh, it, we would call it common grace, that God has just gifted certain people in the world, especially in the realms of politics and the military and economics. We need people who can manage uh, major organizations and systems in that way. And it would be a problem if they couldn't because nothing would ever grow big enough that it would actually be helpful in the world, right? And so we need people with those kinds of skill sets to step in and handle the load. And God has just seemed to gift certain people in that kind of way. And so uh, even in the church, we can say that uh, there's a spiritual gift called leadership. And, and, and it's a good and wise thing, right? Right? But there's also an issue, because there are definitely times when the culture of the church and the culture around the church don't look the same. And there are definitely times when what the culture would define as good and valuable and lovely, and the culture of the church would have to say, actually... No. That the culture of the church is intentionally upside down from the culture around the church. And we can point to all kinds of things to prove that. But this morning we're talking about leaders, right? Think Jesus has something to say about leaders? Would you put Jesus in the category of good leader? If not, we should talk about the gospel. All right. When I say leader... I want you to be thinking servant. Matthew chapter 20. Uh, Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew's gospel account, if you're new to the Bible, uh, one of four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the story of Jesus' life and ministry, of his death and resurrection, but they all tell it from vantage points for a specific audience so that that audience could hear what they need to hear and therefore believe Jesus is who he says he is. And so they all take different spins on the same story. And in Matthew's account of the gospel, he is writing to a Jewish audience, and his purpose is to prove that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Jewish prophecies about the coming Messiah. Okay? All right? And so everything that Matthew points to is this is how Jesus fulfilled this, and this is how Jesus fulfilled this, and this is how Jesus fulfilled that. All right? And so in Matthew 20, uh, by this point in the story, Jesus has on more than one occasion told his disciples, his followers, that he is going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer, and he is going to ultimately die. Therefore, fulfilling everything the Old Testament said about the coming Messiah. That's how that ties in. And then verse 17 in Matthew chapter 20, we pick up the story and he says this. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death. 
and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus tells them everything again of what's going to go down in Jerusalem, right? And so we know from this point and from the other times that he told them this, that they didn't understand. That they, whether it was because they weren't listening or because they were just oblivious to what he actually meant, we know from every, every time he said this kind of stuff that they just completely let it wash over him as if it didn't actually mean anything. And they continually said and did things that would prove it. In case in point, look at verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. All right, so the mother of the sons of Zebedee comes up to Jesus. Now, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who, who are we talking about? The sons of Zebedee are who? James and John, the disciples, James and John, all right? They are the sons of Zebedee. In another place, they're called the sons of thunder, which I think is awesome, all right? I don't know if that means that they did awesome things or they tore up everything, but (laughs) if I had the nickname with my brother growing up, sons of thunder, it would be the latter, all right? So the mom of the disciples, James and John, in another place in the Bible, we learn her name is Salome, all right? Salome, the mother of James and John, comes up to Jesus, and she says, can I ask you something? Anybody else been asked for something in that way? It's usually followed by, you can say no. It's to ask for something without really asking for something, right? It's, it's a little underhanded. I've done that. I've been guilty of that. And I've definitely had that done to me more times than I can count. Can I ask you something? And then she asks for the request here. And it has no question in it at all. What does she say? And he said, or sorry. I lost my place. Then the mother of sons of Zebedee came up to him, to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? She said to him, quote, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Is there a question in there? She's putting some pressure on Jesus, right? Hey, can I ask you something? Say this for me. She's, she's putting a little bit of pressure on Jesus. Apparently they missed the whole, I'm about to go and be crucified thing, right? They missed the whole, I'm about to go to my death in a pretty nasty kind of way. But there's some more pressure here than what you see on the surface, all right? Um, In both Matthew and Mark's account of Jesus' death on the cross, they both say that Salome was standing there with a group of ladies when it happens. In John's gospel account, the one written by Salome's son, In John's gospel account, he doesn't mention Salome at the foot of the cross. He says that Mary was there and Mary's sister. So that's Jesus' aunt. Excuse me, I'm in New England. Aunt. (laughs) Now it connects? Okay, good. There's a familial pressure here, right? Salome... Is, is looking out for her boys. She wants her boys to be successful, and every good mom does, right? No, n- it's only bad moms that don't care. 
Good moms want her boys to be successful. So she comes up to Jesus, and in other gospel accounts, we learn that James and John are, are kind of prodding her to do this. All right? So she comes up to Jesus. Hey, can, I, can you do something for me, sweet little eyes, little auntie eyes? Come on, Jesus. Say that my sons are going to be sitting on your right and your left hand. And there's a family pressure that she's beginning to put on Jesus here, right? She wants him to do something for them. This came immediately after what? I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. This happens immediately after that. And look at verse 22. See how Jesus responds. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, We are able. And he said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Jesus is initially patient with them. He tries to play it off a little bit. Listen, you don't, you don't know what it is you're asking for here. And he tries to dismiss them gently. It's like, you think you're able to drink the cup that I drink? In the Old Testament, to drink the cup is always synonymous with, like, the wrath of God. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? And then they press in a little bit because they missed the whole I'm about to be crucified thing. Yeah, we can do it. We can handle anything you can handle. By the way, we have a brand new mom who just walked in the room. (laughs) All right. We can handle anything you can handle. And so Jesus is like, well, actually, you are going to die in a pretty gruesome way and James and John don't exactly have the best life after this moment (laughs) says actually you will drink the cup that I drink but listen who sits at my right and left hand who's special in heaven that's not my call to make that's the father's call says it's not my call to make at the end of the day the father is the one who makes that call now if you're one of the other disciples what do you think about this whole situation? I mean, let's be honest here, right? If you're walking around with 12 equals, some of them more dumb than the next, and two of them go up to the leader and start jockeying for position behind your back, how are you feeling about things? Not so great. A little bit bitter about James and John. Let's look how they respond. Look at verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were what? Indignant at the two brothers. Indignant is a fun word. It's more than just angry, right? There's insult there. They were indignant at the other two disciples. Because why? Because they apparently also missed the whole, I'm about to go be crucified thing. And apparently also the whole, it's not mine to grant thing, right? So while James and John are jockeying for position, the other ten are going, hey, wait a second, I want in on this. Because none of them are actually listening to Jesus, are they? Not a one of them. All of this is birthed out of a selfish desire that was seen by someone else, and so they wanted in on the selfish desire, right? Every ounce of it. Look at 25. Jesus is going to respond to them. But Jesus called them to him and said, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So Jesus calls his boys together for a little chat. You ever had a little chat? I've had lots of little chats. I've been the recipient of several little chats. (laughs) Jesus calls his boys over for a little chat, and he says, listen, the rulers of the Gentiles. Now, the Bible is very, very clear that the Old Testament was telling God's people all along that there would come a day when God would save people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. The Jews saw the world as two groups of people, Jews and non-Jews. They called them Gentiles. They didn't like the Gentiles because they had the promise of God and the Gentiles did not. They had the law of God and the Gentiles did not. They had the ceremonial system of God and the sacrificial system of God and the Gentiles did not. And so they were the haves and the Gentiles were the have-nots. And so they looked down on the Gentiles as those who did not have what they had and did not have the promise of God. Therefore, they were less than. The whole Old Testament, every bit of God's revelation to his people for, uh, for thousands of years was telling them that there was coming a day when God was going to open up the kingdom to all nations. But for years and years and years and years and years, all there was was the, Gent- or, sorry, the Jews, and they didn't know any better. They were oblivious to that fact. They were blinded spiritually to that reality. And so when Jesus says these words, that has not happened yet. And so when Jesus says... You're acting like a bunch of Gentiles. That's not intended to be positive. Jesus is a perfect teacher and he always meets his pupil, his disciple, exactly where they're at, where they need. And so when he says, hey guys, guys, you're acting like a bunch of Gentiles, what he's saying is an insult. Saying you're acting like all those petty little outsiders who don't have the promise of God. You're acting like all of those other thans, the, the have-nots. What are you doing, guys? You are different than them. Says, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. When this is taking place, um, it's an interesting time in human history. Like, we have to be careful whenever we're reading the Bible and, and studying it that we don't project uh, our culture onto theirs and, and think through our eyes when it should be their eyes. And what I mean by that is this. When this is being said, uh, the, the, the Jews had never once lived in a system, they had never seen any kind of government or cultural system where the leaders were answerable to the common folk. Not once. It had never existed in human history. Like, democracy. What about the romantic idea of the Roman Senate, right? They, they spoke for the people. No. The Roman Senate was elected by two magisterial types called councils, and those people were elected by the aristocracy and the military. And so this idealistic idea of the Roman Senate was ultimately a fancier version of the age-old rule of he who has the bigger army gets to be in charge. And so when Jesus is saying these words, his disciples, the audience that's hearing them, has literally never seen or heard of a king or a ruler who would lead in any other way than than totalitarian. It wouldn't even be on their imagination. 
What do you mean that leaders, of course leaders lord it over them. That's what leaders do, right? Leaders are the ones who get to be in charge because they've accumulated the wealth and they've accumulated the army and they get to tell everybody else what to do. And if, if one day I can accumulate some wealth and I can accumulate some army, I'm going to be in charge. That's the world that they live in. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Look at verse 26. It shall not be so among you. Jesus tells them that if you're going to be my people, if you're going to be the people that bear my name, you will not operate in a totalitarian way. You will not lord over others. You will not be defined by he who has the more power gets to be in charge. It says, it will not be so among you. Keep reading. It will not be so among you, but whoever would be f- great among you, excuse me, whoever would be great among you must be your, what's that word? The word for servant here is the word, the Greek word diakonos. We transliterate that and get our word deacon for it. Hopefully, Hopefully that gives you some insight about how we view deacons here. If not, we should have a conversation. It says, if anyone be, would be great in my kingdom, he should be a servant. We, we don't, a lot of people think that deacons are these guys who have garnered enough respect that we're going to show honor to them and give them positions of authority. The opposite is true people who have shown through time and time and time that they are humble. Therefore, we bestow upon them authority to lead. That's how we see deacons here. Maybe you come out of a church background that didn't see them that way, but that's how we see them here. Leaders serve. When I say leader, I want you to be thinking servant. Look at verse 27. And whoever would be first among you must be your... Volume's getting turned up here, right? Volume's getting turned up here. When I say leader, I want you to be thinking servant. Jesus' expectation for the people that would bear his name is that they would be others-focused and servant-minded. You're going to be my people. This is what you're going to look like. Now that plays out on a bunch of different levels. Uh, three that I can just mention this morning. First level is is within the context of the church, right? It plays out within the context of the church. We're gathered this morning as a church body, and my primary focus as the pastor here is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, all right? You're going to hear that over and over again when we get to our Ephesians series, all right? right? Uh, So my primary purpose when I'm standing on the stage and in all other things that I do here is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we're gathered as the church, and so how do we apply this to NBC, to National Baptist Church, right? Well, we've we've got a mission statement, right? Anybody know what it is? 
knowing God, loving others, serving in the world. We're going to hear that more and more. All right? Knowing God, loving others, serving in the world. Where do you think the loving one another piece comes into play? How do you think that's fleshed out? Through servant-minded, others-focused, whatever, right? So everything we do here gets fleshed out in an others-minded, servant-focused kind of way. The loving one another component is rooted in a core-level attitude of I'm here to serve. That's why I hope you see leaders, even myself, intentionally looking for ways to put other people in front of us. And I'm not just talking about the big things. I'm talking about the dumb little things that no one thinks matters. It's why the leaders wait to the end of the line when we serve a, a meal. It's why I park down in the little bottom lot so that everybody else can have the close spots. And a hundred more that I'll never list for you. My hope is that you see our leaders here starting with me and trickling down from me as putting other people first. As elevating their status and decreasing ours. The world is very, very used to the Gentiles lording it over them. So if you're here and you want to find ways for your friends and neighbors and family to hear the gospel, if you want opportunities to arise so that you can speak the gospel into their lives, start serving with no strings attached and watch what happens. So the second level is not just the church. The second level is the circles of influence outside of here, right? Where you work or play or go to school. That's where the serving in the world component of our thing comes into play, right? We don't just love one another. That would be inclusive and, and exclusive. That would be focused on ourselves. No, it, it, it flows out of here to everywhere outside of here, right? And to love and serve other people in a way that they don't expect to take position and influence and authority and instead use it to serve rather than to lord over, well, that makes a little bit of a statement for the uniqueness of Jesus, doesn't it? And then there's a third way. Third way this servant-mindedness is fleshed out is within the context of the family. And this is the moment, gentlemen, where we get to dote on our mommies for a second. This is for you too, guys. Fathers serve exactly the same way, but mommies seem to have this unique giftedness for this. If you're anything like my wife, there are days when you think that all the things that a mommy has to do have no point. There are, there are days when you think that all the things that a mommy has to do has no end in sight. And that the thousandth time that you had to do something it's probably only the first of 100,000. In light of eternity, every little mundane thing is working towards something. Especially if you're one of the young mommies in here. If you're, your kids are still uh, small, school age, or younger, all right, uh, there are days when you ask if any of those mommy realities even 
matter. And there is absolutely no unimportant mommy moment. Not a one. Doesn't matter how mundane, it doesn't matter how repeated. Every single mommy moment is a part of a larger story of raising your kids in light of eternity. And every single mommy moment, no matter how mundane, no matter how repeated, is ultimately an effort to look more and more like Jesus. To be a picture of who he is. What do you mean look like Jesus? Look at verse 28. Well, go back up to 26 again. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life excuse me, as a ransom for many. The call for uh, us to be others-focused and servant-minded is not rooted in a God who is a because-I-said-so God. Why should I serve others? Because I said so. I find myself doing that sometimes in my house. Jesus is not a because-I-said-so God. It's because he's modeled, humble, others-focused servanthood in a way far deeper than you or I are worthy of and could ever repeat. Jesus is not a because I said so God. He's a God who went to the cross for us. The call to be others-focused and to be servant-minded is rooted in the reality that Jesus has done exactly that for us. We humble ourselves because Jesus first humbled himself. We serve others because Jesus first and foremost served others. And the call to be a servant leader is because Jesus is exactly that and that perfectly. So Jesus says, if you're going to be my people, if you're going to be the people that bear my name, who are supposed to look like me, act like me, think like me. This is what I look like. Because we are first and foremost the recipients of his other's focused humility. We are free to lay down our attempts to pick up the scepter and be first and instead take up the apron and be a slave. And so the call to put others before ourselves and the call to count others as a, ourselves as a slave is ultimately a call for us to look a little bit more like our Savior. When I say leader, I want you to be thinking servant. And it's not because we want to put our thumb on you. It's because there's freedom there. And because you find Jesus so how do we respond to God's word this morning? If you're a follower of Jesus, our call this morning is to lay down our attempts to jockey for position and instead find ways to serve. Right? Just be honest with you, every church struggles with volunteers in a number of areas. Two of our big ones right now are nursery and cleaning teams. You're looking for a way to, to make something happen, to be obedient to some stuff here? Join a cleaning team, man. Katie and I, for the first time, joined a cleaning team today. All right, So we're going to have a rotation coming up. Uh, we need some people for our team. We need some other teams. 
Right, we got some people who work diligently to keep our church clean. Otherwise, we'd have to pay somebody, and who wants to do that? All right? And so we've got like rotating teams that come through. Right? And some of you are already working tirelessly. We used to have like eight teams or something, and now we have like four, and so they're doing it once a month, and it's kind of hard when you have to do it pretty often. Guess what happens when you have more teams? You don't have to do it so often. Genius, right? So consider joining a team or starting a new team, and then, hey, the church gets cleaned, and nobody feels like it's only on them. Crazy. <laughs> Like I said, it starts with me and trickles down. So as of this weekend, I'm now on a cleaning team. Come hang out. See Lauren about the nursery, all those kinds of things. we got other places. Maybe you're gifted in other capacities. What role do you play in the efforts to serve in the world and love one another here? What role do you play? According to Jesus, leaders serve. And so if you're here and you're wondering how to get plugged in, consider that one. If you're a follower of Jesus, how are you playing the role he has called you to? I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. It'll be your opportunity to, to respond however God's calling you to respond. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I'm glad you're here. I am. As you're processing through what it means to... to to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and trust in him for salvation. As you're processing through that, figuring out if that's something you want to do, you also need to process the reality that Jesus told his people, looked them in the eye and says, to follow me is to come and die. To pick up your cross and follow me. At a core level, the follower of Jesus wants to look like Jesus and Jesus is the ultimate servant. So if you're not a Christian here and you're processing through what that looks like, man, maybe today is the day that you want to make the decision to follow him. That's a weighty decision, but maybe you're ready for it today. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. It'll be your opportunity to respond. And if that's you and you need somebody to talk to, we're going to have some people down here at the front. We're also going to have some people in the foyer after we're done here in our time. And listen, we can, we can talk with you about that kind of stuff if that's what you're uh, interested in. But listen, that's something that happens between you and God on a heart level. As you're considering the claims of Jesus and whether or not they're true, or not, and whether or not they're trustworthy or not, maybe today is the day where you decide they are. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, and you respond however God is leading you. Let's pray. Father God, you are good to us. Thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the story of Salome and her sons. How quickly I could insert myself into the story. How quickly I can point to things in my life where I've jockeyed and vied for attention and affections and position and authority and power. And instead, you were patient with me and said, boys, 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 boys. No. You should look like me. Oh God, make me a servant like you. Humble my heart before you so that I may walk humbly before others.
God, in all the things that we do here as a church body, would you give us a heart for loving one another? And that loving one another has to play out in the context of putting others and counting others as more, as more valuable than ourselves. God, for those who are wrestling through what it looks like to follow you this morning, would you give them the courage to take the step? I'm confident that when we see you for who you really are, we are forever changed by that. So would you show them your face? Oh God, create us as a church body that loves one another and serves in the world because we have known you. So in your name we pray, Jesus.